Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to be talking about it in relationship to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. And we've, we've gone through most of Corinthians now. We've looked at Corinthians from a lot of different angles. What was Corinth? Who was in Corinth? Uh, what was the controversy of Corinth? We've even gone back a little bit, looked at the controversy, uh, b- between, you know, why was Paul writing the Romans? You know, we've talked about this in a number of places is that the Jews who became Christians were still following Jewish traditions. For hundreds of years, the uh, a lot of Christians still did all the stuff. They read the Torah. They uh, they kept the food laws. They uh, did a lot of these things because of the personal traditions of those people who had been Jewish for generations and now became Christians. And the reality is, is that Christians, you know, all the first Christians were Jewish. They were from Judea. They were following Jesus, who was a Jew, by because he was a citizen, supposedly, of Judea. He was the king of the Jews. And so they had a lot of personal traditions. But Christ was explaining in the Gospels what Moses was really teaching. Because an apostasy form of Judaism had risen up in Judea. There was actually several different forms of apostasy, several different opinions about what Moses was really talking about. And they, most of them had it wrong. It was only a minority that could actually understand what Jesus was talking about. Well, the reality is we find ourselves in the same place in relationship to Jesus. After 2,000 years... Most Christians do not understand, most people calling themselves Christians, they may not, you know, from one, if a Christian is someone who's following and believes in Christ and is coming in the name of Christ and the character of Christ, then there's an awful lot of people out there who say they are Christians and are not really Christians. And they don't really believe in Christ. And Christ warned that this would actually be the case. The apostles all warned that this would be the case. That many people would not be doing what Christ said to do, would be doing actually contrary to what Christ said to do, would actually be making the word of God to none effect by their traditions, by their way. But they would be calling themselves Christians. And Christ said many would be doing this. And and they, Peter said they would make themselves merchandise and they would curse their children with debt because of their covetous practices. And Paul goes through long lists of people who may think they're Christians but have no inheritance in the kingdom because of what they're doing. But there are actually people out there claiming to be Christian ministers 
We're going around and telling people, it doesn't matter what you do, it just matters what you say and think. Even though Christ, who Paul preached first, said it's not what you say, but what you do. So who's right? Christ or the people who are misinterpreting Paul and taking Paul out of the context of Paul, taking Paul out of the context of Christ, and inventing a false religion they call Christianity. Well, you can see if I'm going to be going around talking about things like that, there's going to be an awful lot of people that are not going to like me because I'm saying, they're saying they're a Christian and I'm saying, no, you're not. You're not an actual, real, true Christian. You're something that calls themselves a Christian, but you're not actually doing what Christ said. Now, the question is, do you know what Christ said? Maybe that's why you're not doing it. Because you don't actually know what Christ said. See, this is the, this is the cleverness of Satan, of the adversary, whoever the adversary is, all the minions of the adversary, is they hold up Christ, who was someone who came to help people, forgive people, bless people, teach people, sacrifice himself for others. And they say, yeah, that's a good thing. I like that. I want to follow that guy. And then you got preachers coming along who were taught by preachers before them, who were taught by theologians before them and heads of seminaries before them. And they began to preach what they were taught Christ was like and who Christ was. But they're not telling you who the real Christ was and what he really taught. They're taking the word of that we find in the Bible. Some people call the word of God. The word of God is something far more than what you find in the Bible. The Bible is a representation of the word of God by men who were inspired by God to write down words. All the translators weren't inspired. All the readers of the Bible certainly aren't inspired. They'd all agree if they were all inspired. And yet it's Christ who says that it's by that divine inspiration I will build my church. Well, there's a lot of people who think they're a part of his church, the church established by Christ. They think they're a part of that, but they're not doing anything that Christ said or very little that Christ said. You know, they may be nice guys. They may be sweet guys. They may be do things for people. They, they and, and they may be able to come and say, look at all these great things that we have done. You know, we've gone on the missions and, you know, we sponsor these little children and, and we help out people all the time and, you know, we have a pretty nice family. But no, they may still be told to get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. At least that's what Christ says, and he says many. This would be many people that would do this. And, you know, based on what I have learned and what I'm sharing with you, yeah, many is an understatement. But they can still repent. The wonderful thing about discovering you're wrong is you can do something about it. If you're wrong and you won't look at that, you won't discover that. I know people who who think, you know, like couples who think, you know, that my problem is my spouse is not doing what they ought to be doing. They're, my spouse has problems. 
And that's why our marriage is having problems. I can almost guarantee you 100% of the time that if your marriage is having problems, both of you have problems. It's almost a guarantee. And and the uh, reality is, is, the fact is, we all have problems. We all have things, and those problems come from what we do not want to see about ourselves. We think we know the truth. We think we know what's right. We think we know the gospel. And we don't. What was it? Mark Twain uh, said, uh, it's not so much uh, what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you absolutely know that's true that just ain't so. And that's what it comes down to with a lot of people studying the Bible. And if you bring anything into question that they have already accepted as true, you think, they think you are attacking their faith. You have to stop having faith in what you have gleaned as knowledge from teachers and Bibles and Bible studies and start looking at all things anew. That's the instructions in the Bible. The Torah is true. The Bible is true. Your interpretation of both may not be true. And if it's not true, it probably has something to do with something you don't want to see about yourself. You see, you cannot conjure up the Holy Spirit to give you divine revelation. The Holy Spirit listeth where it wills. It goes where it wills. It makes its own choices. You can't make the Holy Spirit come into your heart and mind. What you can do is make room for the Holy Spirit to come into your heart and your mind. And the way you do that is follow what Christ said. What did he say to do? He said, forgive so that ye may be forgiven. Christ, the Holy Spirit of Christ The Holy Spirit of God the Father wants to come into your heart. But you're not making room for it because you're full of unforgiveness. If your marriage is having trouble, it's because there's unforgiveness. Almost 100%, and I'm only saying almost just because I haven't seen every single possible scenario. I've seen an awful lot of them. is because you lack forgiveness. And if you lack forgiveness, the light of the Holy Spirit cannot come into you and therefore you will live in darkness and you will not understand what's going on with your family, with your neighbors, with your community, with your country. You will not understand the items that are going on in the news telling you about this problem and that problem. You won't understand them because you are living in darkness because you won't see the light. And you won't see the light because in order to see the light, you have to forgive others. You have to also accept responsibility for what you have done wrong. And you have to forgive yourself. And you, in order to forgive yourself, you have to see yourself in the light that comes when you forgive others. You see, you have these layers of blocking the Holy Spirit from coming into you. You're keeping the Holy Spirit at bay because you're keeping the truth at bay because you don't want to admit the truth. In order to admit the truth about yourself, what do you need? 
Humility. You have to be willing to admit you don't have all the answers now. I don't have all the answers now. You don't have all the answers now. Christ has all the answers, but you have to let the real Christ in, not the emotionalized version of Christ. So I talk about a lot of things that the early church did that the modern church is not doing so that you can see, oh my goodness, why aren't we doing what they did? And then you start questioning the ideas that have already got into your head and filled your cup with falsehoods, filled your mind with falsehoods. you got to let go of those things. They are often your security. My church makes me feel good. My, my faith makes me feel good. But is your faith in God or an image of God that you have created with the help of other false ministers or other people that are deluded? You've created this image in your mind of Christ and it's actually your faith in that image of Christ and not in Christ himself. Because when the Im- when your faith is really in the real spirit of God, things really start to change. Now the amazing thing about people is we're, we're men especially, but men and women are both have a certain amount of car- uh, compartmentalizing in their minds and even in their hearts. I mean, you have chambers in your heart. And you have chambers in your mind. Sections in your mind. And you keep think different thoughts there. So, at the same exact time, you can be sincerely desiring to know the truth. And sincerely desiring not to know the truth. Because there's a part of you that doesn't want to see certain parts of your heart and your mind. And there's a part of you that does. And this can go on simultaneously in you, but it creates conflict. But it's still keeping out the light of the Holy Spirit. I've seen this so many times with people who have seen, they've seen this truth, and they've seen that truth, and they've seen this connection, and they say, yeah, that makes sense. But all of a sudden they get to a point where they cannot see, they don't want to see anymore. That they've had enough. They don't want to see anymore. You cannot. This is why Christ gave you another instruction besides forgiving. He gave you the instruction of persevering. Putting your hand to the plow and not quitting. Not forsaking the gathering together. Because that's another thing he commanded you to do. He commanded you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And commanded his disciples to make you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. In this this network. So that charity amongst you can take place. So that forgiveness can take place amongst you. The Corinthians were learning how to do this. And Paul was having to write to them about some of their problems. And they were willing to see that. And and that's what he's touching on. The Romans, when he wrote the Romans, he's talking about some of their specific problems in specific letters. Writing to the Romans and the conditions of the Romans. See, the the Jews, 14,000 Jewish families had been cast out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius. Well, those Jewish families were Christians. That's why he was casting them out. Because these Jewish Christians or Christian Jews, 
these followers of Christ, who was the king of Judea, had this goofy idea that we were not supposed to be taking benefits from men who exercise authority, one over the other. Now, to Christ that wasn't goofy, to the Christians that wasn't goofy, but to the Romans that was goofy, especially to the Roman emperor. And that's why we had letters going to Roman emperors in the next 150 years from apologists like Justin explaining this is how Christians take care of their religious, pious duty. Their religious, pious duty, what is that? Obeying God and taking care of one another. Loving God and loving one another. Loving one another in charity. Taking care of the needy of society in pure religion. Without the help of men who exercise authority one over the other. That was what pure religion was according to James. Unspotted by this desire to force my neighbor to take care of me. Or take care of the needy of society. That's a big desire that was prevalent in the Roman Empire at that time. They had their free bread all handed out to the temples of Rome, which were government buildings, provided many contributions were free will offerings, but many of them were the result of tribute. Taxes, tribute from foreigners, tribute from Romans. Had to pay into this. And then if you cross the emperor, you know, and that's how the first emperor came about, was that, you know, Caesar, Julius Caesar, was trying to take on the position of imperator for life, which would make him the commander-in-chief of the army and the navy for life. And they saw this as dooming the republic. Because it was too much power in the hands of a single individual. And so they killed him. And then Octavius and a number of guys rose up to fight those who had killed Julius Caesar. And when he finally defeated them, he got to take the spoils. Because they didn't have the rules that Moses had laid down. They took all the spoils of all those wealthy men that they defeated... They took their chattels and choses in action. They took their property and they became some of the wealthiest men in the Roman Empire. And they took that money and those funds and uh, and they started redistributing them to the people of Rome. And the people of Rome hailed Ju- uh, Augustus Caesar, who was actually Octavius. They hailed Octavius as Augustus Caesar which meant that he was the Sauter, the savior of Rome. And his welfare system would be their salvation in time of need. And of course, Herod, who came along after this, was setting up a similar system in Judea. And there was rebellion in the Sanhedrin. And there was murder of men in the temple itself. And John the Baptist fled to the desert as a small child with his mother Elizabeth and was raised up with the Nazarites who were Essenes in in the desert. And he ate carobs and wild honey. It says locusts and wild honeys, but if you understand the language, 
Same word for carob in one language is the word locust in another language. So that's a mistranslation. He didn't eat locusts and wild honey. It always kind of bothered me when I heard that. Something in me said, that doesn't sound right. But it was carob and wild honey. So last night I had some carob and wild honey in a drink. <laughs> so anyway, I, I don't know that it made any difference. But I, I found that fascinating. Uh, that uh, I've known about it for years and years. But these are just some of the little things. But there's a lot of big things that they don't you don't understand because people have sometimes mistranslated. There's a, the, the translations that are some of the translations that are available. It should be good enough. And really are good enough for those who are walking in the Spirit. But most people set aside, they override what the Holy Spirit is telling them. The Holy Spirit is saying there's something wrong with that and they don't want to look at it. Because they don't want to look at things about themselves. You see, this is why it's important to look at yourself. So as the Bible says, study to be still. Study to be still? What, what are they talking about? Be still and know God. Your mind is going 90 miles an hour, or with some of you it may be only going 50 miles an hour, but your tires are bald, so that's still pretty dangerous. <laughs> so anyway, the reality is, is that you need to be very aware of what's going on in your mind that is not really of Christ. Not according to the character of Christ. What's going on in your life? What's going on in the way you relate to other people that is not like Christ? Like they say, what would Jesus do? Unfortunately, most of the people going around saying, what would Jesus do? Don't know what Jesus did. So they don't know what Jesus would do. Because most of the people in my life that have used that phrase, they're doing absolutely what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for doing. They don't know it because there's this great strong delusion, this apostasy that is going on. So this is why we were going to Corinthians. This is why we've gone through a lot of the Bible and uh, why we're looking at the text and trying to put the text in the context of history, in the context of what Paul was really talking about, in the context of what was going on in the early church and what was going on in the Roman Empire because History is repeating itself. And just as the Pharisees and the Zealots and the Sadducees and many other groups were in apostasy, doing contrary to Moses, not even really knowing Moses, because had they known Moses, they would have known Jesus. The same thing is going on today with the modern Christians. We have all these denominations, 40,000 different denominations, but there is only one denominator. And that denominator is Christ. So why are we doing contrary to what Christ said? How can you be worshiping God and doing contrary to what Christ said to do? He said, he who does the will of my father is my mother and my brother. Are you doing the will of the father? Well, no. Most of you are not out there in the world. You're not because the world doesn't want to do what the Father has always told us to do. They want to do something contrary. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, I was uh, 
hearing in the news this week, and I always like to touch on something that's actually happening, or at least this was a post floating around. I mean, there's all kinds of goofy stuff going on in the news. You've got your, uh, you know, it's just bizarre. And we see this, and a lot of people say, well, how can people even, this is crazy. Why can they think this way? You know, like, you know, 220-pound men out there say they're a girl, and they get to change in the girls' locker room just because they say they're a girl. Everybody knows they're not a girl. And they get to compete in women's sports, girls' sports in high school. Uh, they even have men beating up girls at the school gymnasium. <laughs> Because they say they're girls, they're fighting girls, sending them to the hospital because they say they're girls. And everybody just stands around and watches it like you're not a girl. You're twice as big as her. (laughs) You're way stronger than her. And they do this and people just stand there because they don't, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. The fellow who thinks he's a girl is delusional. He has a dysphoria about his sexuality that comes from something that it, that started way, well, it started way back, but it really got going in the 60s and 70s, which was the sexual revolution. And, you know, I just read a study, this, actually two studies, uh, this week that were extensive studies. I didn't get to read it all because I couldn't find it all online, but I read quite a bit about them, about Cultures, they studied over 86 different major cultures and all of them that had a, you know, they came and went, but all of them had a sexual revolution, uh, what they, which is a bizarre term in itself, where they went from a monogamous or, or strict monogamous state or culture to you know, uh, one that was um, modified monogamy. They went from having uh, uh, no promiscuity before uh, nuptials, before marriage, to having anything they wanted before the, they get married. And that was okay. And you could have more than one wife, just not two wives at a time. And then, there, then they would bring in multiple wives and all this stuff. And in every case where they had this sexual change in the culture, this revolution in the culture, where now it was suddenly okay to live with a girl or a girl to live with a guy and all this kind of stuff, and to have multiple partners whenever you want. When they they did that, three generations tops, and the culture collapsed. They may have been around for 500 years, but three generations after this change in the cultural perspective concerning marriage and the sexuality of the community, they they were collapsing as a society. And, of course, we had our sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s. And suddenly now it's okay to live together. And getting married, now it's just a piece of paper. And uh, getting divorced, just a piece of paper. Not true. Not true. Having girlfriends and living together and all that kind of stuff, it's destroying your society. It's eating and eroding away at your society. Now, of course, every time they have such a thing as this, there's also a backlash. There's other people that say, no, that's a mistake. You know, I've seen that. And a lot of times it's amongst people 
who've already seen the results in their own family and they change something in their heart and they just say, I'm not going that way. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to follow that cultural path. And these are cultural characteristics. Culture matters. And so, Christians, so Paul's writing Christians, people who have also realized another thing that destroys society. Historians for years, when I was growing up, historians were still teaching this on a pretty regular basis. It was in the history books written by Charles and Mary Beard and everything. The new history books that were brought about by, by the Carnegie Foundation and the Guggenheim Foundation and and the Ford Foundation and the, uh, all these different, the Rockefeller Foundation, they brought in new books. They hired 50 scholars to write new history books to change the way in which Americans viewed history. They didn't include the, these informations and these facts about history. But they used to teach it when I was a kid that, you know, that it was the free bread of Rome that destroyed the character of Rome. And of course, now I bring up that 150 years before Augustus Caesar and the birth of Christ, Polybius, who was a historian of the Romans, he was a Greek historian working for the Romans, was saying that, yeah, this these covetous practices of the people, you know, living at the expense of others and by the property of others, and depending upon taking away from others so that they can have what they want, will alter society, turn them into perfect savages. Well, that if they don't want to admit that that's what's going on in their society, that's a, that's a veil over their mind. They will not see clearly through that veil, through that dark glass. They will not see clearly. Then they add sexual revolutions on that and they say, well, you know, if I ever get married, I won't cheat on my wife, but I'll cheat on my girlfriend. You've already cheated on your wife with your girlfriend. <laughs> you, you, and people used to know that. They would understand that. Today, they don't even think anything of it. I mean, you have, I never seen the show, but somebody was talking about it just this week. Sex in the City, I guess is what they call it. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the actress who was one of the prominent actresses she's married to. Is it Matthew Broderick or somebody like that? But anyway, they advocated promiscuity throughout the program. And, and people who followed that as if that was the cultural norm. That's the thing is that the media through you know TV and movies can alter the course of the culture. Just They use schools to do this. By altering our view of history. Our history was not taught to us by our grandfathers who lived history or our great grandfathers. I'm a great grandfather. They don't come to me to find history. They're not going to learn it in the schools because the schools aren't teaching it. They don't know history. I remember I, w- I was talking to one of my grandsons who, who's now grown up and uh, he was talking about democracy. And I said, no, you don't want democracy. Democracy is a bad form of government. Everybody knew that before World War II. Before World War II, if you joined the army before World War II, you were taught democracy was a bad form of government. In the U.S. Army Manual. After World War II, you were taught that democracy is a good form of government. 
Well, when I mentioned this, the the mother of the, the, the my grandson said, "Well, what kind of government do you want?" Because she thought, "Well, democracy is good," because that's what she had been taught in school. I had been taught that in school, but I've done a little studying since. <laughs> so I didn't stop studying when I left private school. I was I was attending St. Joseph's College when I was thirteen, fourteen years old. But I still, and I was taught by people who still could remember what they used to teach us in schools back before the 20s and 30s and 40s when all these changes were taking place in the way in which we view history. So I was getting bits and pieces of that. We were using, at St. Joseph's College, the, I think it was my second year we were using a history book that was clearly ancient. <laughs> it was a very old history book. I mean, ancient and since of modern times it was probably printed back in the 20s or 30s and it wasn't printed by the Guggenheim Foundation <laughs> so it it was real history and we were seeing parts of history that when I went and started reading all the history books that they were offering in the schools you know, I've read history books that are show up in your high schools they don't even show up in your high schools anymore but when they did Back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I read the history books that they were using in these schools. I, w- I noticed certain things were missing that gave you a different picture of culture, a different view of history. And it was changing the way people think. And, of course, my answer to my daughter-in-law was a republic. A republic is not the same as a democracy. Today, most people think a democracy is, you know, that the United States is a republic and a republic is an indirect democracy. A republic is not a democracy. There's a vote, but you're voting for titular leaders who can't go out and take your rights away. That's, That's what a republic is. That's not what you have today. But anyway, that's another whole topic. We have lots of videos and audios on that subject. And you can go study those and find out what a republic really was. Well, the fact is, is the early church was a republic. The early church in America were called uh, uh, viable, not viable, I was trying to think of the actual word, but many republics. Because they were operating according to that concept your ministers did not exercise authority over you because that was forbidden by Christ they were actually to provide you with pure religion through faith hope and charity through your contribution see you had this choice in Rome this is the Christian conflict we're going to take care of the needy of our society through the culture of Christ by faith hope and charity or We're going to take care of the needy of our society by force, fear, and violence according to the culture of Caesar. This was their choice. What culture do you want to live by? When you live by faith, hope, and charity, you're going to come face to face with that dark veil that is stretched over your mind and you can, that veil can be lifted through forgiveness and giving. And through humility and perseverance, through love, and then the Holy Spirit can enter into you and light up your life in a way that you begin to see the world with new eyes. 
And those eyes have to be given to you. I can't give them to you. I can talk about the fact that you don't have them now. If you had them now, you would have seen a lot of things that I'm I'm talking about. But we do want to get through Corinthians 10. We might even get through Corinthians 11. Probably will before the day's out because we'll have another program this afternoon. And you can get on the network and we can we can share all this information with you. But if we're looking at uh, Corinthians 10, the first paragraph I entitle it, Casting Down Imaginations and Disobedience. And that's what we've been talking about all morning. Is the fact that many people think they're following Christ and they're actually disobeying the commands of Christ. And this is what we're showing you. The early church would not take the free bread of Rome and were persecuted because they would not take the free bread of Rome. Modern Christians take the free bread of Rome. They take the bread that's provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. And they call themselves benefactors, but they're just taken away from everybody else to provide you with those benefits. And Christ said it was not to be that way with you. But it is that way with you, so you're not listening to Christ. You're not obeying Christ. You're coveting your neighbor's goods, the agency of government. Paul said the covetous have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. We're supposed to turn away from them. It makes for real small churches. (laughs) But he said a lot of things. So we'll look at all those things eventually and have many times before. But the first paragraph is, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you. He's, He's putting himself in a humble position. But being absent and bold towards you. So he's going to be writing a little bit bold. Remember, Second Corinthians is Paul Light. He wasn't as scolding in it, although there is certainly he is doing some rebuking in here. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I thank to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, Paul had a big, long talk about walking according to the flesh, walking according to the Spirit. What are the fruits of the flesh? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, he talks about the fruits of the flesh as what I see in the modern church all the time. The lasciviousness, wantonness, desire for benefits at the expense of their neighbor. They just go to church to feel good and to get justified. You know, some of the bizarre things we see today, the, 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 uh, what do they call it? Transgender readings in the, you know, story hour in the, where they got, uh, guys dressed up in bizarre transgender outfits talking to five year olds and seven year olds in the library. You know, um, my son was just uh, having dinner with another one of my sons and uh, their wives and sitting in a restaurant and three guys come in. He was telling me the story the other night. Three guys came in and they were, one of them was clearly stoned. They were all strange out-of-towners. And one of them 
the the kids were sitting at a table coloring right next to the table of the parents. And uh, he came over and he says, oh, those are your pictures. Oh, well, you want to see them in the pictures on my phone? And he reaches over and he starts to show them pictures on his phone. Well, my son could see the phone and he... He called to the guy, and the guy didn't respond, and finally had to get a little louder. Hey, you know, and uh, and the guy kind of perked up, and and my son shook his head and gestured to him with his head, get away from those kids. <laughs> the guy moved away, but that's bizarre. The idea that you can just go up to other people's children and start showing them pictures on your phone you don't even know those kids you don't know the parents you haven't even uh made any contact with them but people think that's okay of course massively now we have people voting to force you to give your children to uh give them vaccinations force your children to take medical uh there was a case just recently where husband and wife were divorced and the wife wants to take one of her twin sons, who's like five or seven, and change him to a girl. Of course, he won't be a girl. The chromosomes are all going to still be male chromosomes. And, you know, and I can show you history of people who have done this in the past, where a child was, had a, a physical problem that doctor said, well, let's just change it to a girl. And it was an infant. And they performed the operation. The guy destroyed that boy. Absolutely destroyed that boy. He was raised as a girl. He wasn't a girl. He was a boy. He had male chromosomes flowing through his body. And they were trying to chemically change this. It's it's a horror story of abuse. And, you know, I think it happened in Canada originally. But anyway, the fact is they're taking a perfectly healthy boy. She wants a girl and a boy, so she's going to change him with an operation. That, right in front of your eyes, right in the news, this is child abuse of the most extreme. It's going on psychologically and physically going to child abuse that child. And in case some of you didn't know, the judge who ruled that she couldn't do that, he's been recused, and it looks like she's going to get to do it. This is how bizarre we've come. Why? Because we're under a strong delusion. And there's no extent to how far this delusion can go. You're either headed towards worse things than this. All these things we're hearing about in the news and worse things than these that you're hearing about in the news are going to be taking place in your life. Or you're going to be going the other direction and all the things that you hear about Christ doing you will do, and greater things than that you shall even do. That's what Christ says. But the modern church isn't going that way. They're going another way. And people can't see it because they're under this strong delusion. So we have to turn around and learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. And and understand what it means to walk in the flesh. And then by what they're doing, you know who's walking in the flesh and who's walking in the spirit. Now, there will be some marginal people in there that may be a little bit more difficult. But if you're walking in the spirit, you'll be able to tell. But people are still eating of the tree of knowledge, thinking they're going to find their way 
to the Holy Spirit. You cannot find your way to the Holy Spirit by eating of the tree of knowledge. You find your way to the Holy Spirit when you willingly let God write upon your heart and your mind. When you're willing to receive that revelation. And you will not receive that revelation unless you're willing to see your problems. Adam and Eve fled the garden because there was light in the garden. There was an angel of light there in the garden and that drove them out because to be in that light would make them have to see what they were in denial of. Adam thought, it's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. And I'm telling you today, the bondage of the world today, the entanglement in the bondage of the world today that we see today everywhere, the delusional false religion that people are accepting everywhere is the result of the fact that you're still blaming others for your particular status today. It's you. You have to change. But that's good news. Because you can change. You cannot change yourself with your own will. But if you set your will aside and say the prayer of Christ, not my will but thine, and begin to do what Christ clearly said to do, and you'll find it hard at times, but when you find it hard at times, it's because you're still addicted to the world. And then, now you can repent. You can change your mind if you let Christ come in to make that change. Because you don't know which way to change it. But Christ can show you. You can read the Bible, but that's still the tree of knowledge. Ultimately, you have to eat of the tree of the Spirit and have to learn to walk in the Spirit. So, walked according to flesh. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is not information about God. The knowledge of God is knowing God. And allowing God to come into your heart and write upon your heart and your mind. Everybody has experienced that a little bit. But everybody needs to experience that a lot. Every day. As you walk through life. And if God is in you, guiding you, and you're accepting the guidance of God, and He's writing upon your hearts and your mind, you're not going to want to do all these things that the rest of the world is doing. People are going around saying, oh yeah, he's a sinner, yeah, he murdered, yeah, but he's saved because he accepted Jesus as a personal Savior. If you really accepted the real Jesus as your personal Savior, you're not going to be going around murdering and abusing and robbing and coveting. You're going to be keeping the commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you're not keeping the commandments... That's a pretty good sign that you don't really love him enough to let him into your heart. You fear what you will see when the light comes in. And you have to, a humble heart will accept that light. He will accept what he sees about himself when he lets that light in. 
you're angry with your spouse, you're short with your spouse, you neglect your spouse, you neglect your children, you lose your temper. Maybe you have a bad temper. Where's that coming from? Uh, you have a fear of spiders. You have a fear of elevators. You have these phobias. And you don't even know where they come from. Why am I afraid of that? You know? It's misplaced confusion. You know, the, the people who love their dogs and their cats and their pets. I have all these pets. I see this all the time with people uh, that are out there in the poor areas of the community. It's over there in the other valley. And, you know, their life is a mess. Their kids won't have anything to do with them. But they love all their pets. And their pets are just dragging their health down. Using up their money. But they love their pets. Because they have, they feel like they have to love something. There's this huge hole in their heart if they don't love something. And it's so much easier to love a dog, a cat, a, a goat, than to love your children. Because your children are much more complex. And therefore, the love... Well, you know, children are designed to point out your weaknesses. A woman is designed to show a man his weaknesses. And a real man can also help the woman. They can be a team. But if they want, they don't, most people haven't any clue how that even works. But the more you're willing to see about yourself, the more you will be able to understand how that works. So, casting down the imaginations, that is an interesting idea because that's what most people are worshipping in their churches. They're worshipping the imagination. What they imagine Christ to be saying or be like or, you know, and then they want to conjure up pictures of heaven that I'm going, because this is not my home. Christ redeemed the world. <laughs> this is our home. We're supposed to be magnifying Christ in everything that we do in this world. This is our home. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not where you go when you die. If you're not in the kingdom of heaven here, you're not going to be in the kingdom of heaven there. This is where we, the rubber meets the road. This is where Christ came to redeem. We'll be right back. So, welcome back. So, we're in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And in that verse 5, we're reading, casting down imaginations. And that's what we've been talking about, is that people imagine that they know what the Bible is talking about. Because they're told this by men who should know but have actually crept in and presented to you a strong delusion. Probably some of them were just deluded by their professors. I mean, I remember when I was being taught different things, I would ask, but what about this? What about, I just innocently assumed it didn't make sense. It had to make sense to me. And, you know, I in uh, theology classes, all the way up into my uh, senior year, when I went back to regular uh, private schools, that uh, they were they were shaken by the fact that I would ask these questions. But I, I had a little bit more knowledge than some of my teachers by the time I was back in regular school because I was no longer attending that St. Joseph's College. But I had done all this studying prior to that. 
Because, you know, whenever I would do things, I would do it intensely. I mean, I'd be working late at night and taking a flashlight into the dormitory so I could read and study these things because I was trying to make sense out of the world and it just wasn't adding up. Things didn't fit and they had to fit. It's like a puzzle. I guess I was a little OCD about that. But eventually, when I came out here to the desert and started to learn to study to be still on a more regular basis, following sheep on the desert, then you know, carrying my Bible with me in my pack and, and, and pondering these things and praying about it, I began to realize they lied. <laughs> some lied overtly, some lied because they had received a lie. And this is a strong delusion that they might believe a lie. And that's what the modern church is. It's a lie. And it's a product of imagination. It's not a product of the spirit. And so that word imagination is actually composed of two words. And one of them is logos. Logos most is, is the word. And it has to do, it can be translated thought or imagination, but it has to do with Reckoning computation. You figured it out. Or somebody figured it out for you and taught you these answers. No. You don't figure it out. That's not how Christ... Christ does not build his church by flesh and blood. And walking in the flesh is not the answer. It's walking in the Spirit. He builds it by revelation. That revelation must come by the Spirit. And that's what they mean when they talk about him writing upon their hearts and upon their minds. And this is where you should be at. And all I can do is present evidence that it is not where you're at because you have accepted things that are clearly a lie. So that when I show you these facts, to show you that the modern church that says it's okay to go to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, even though Christ said it is not okay, are doing contrary to Christ. Very simple. If you're desiring benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you're not a Christian. And, you know, I say you can't be a Christian and a socialist. And in the news this week, at least somebody sent me some information on this subject, there was a new word and I had to look up the word and it's transferism. They say it's not socialism. It's not a war between socialism and capitalism. Of course, it's not because socialism is a political system and capitalism is not a political system. Capitalism is just the private ownership of your possessions. What you produce is yours. And, of course, that was the prophecy of the Messiah would return every man to his possessions. So the the Messiah is a capitalist. He's going to return you to your possessions, your possessions to you and your family to you. And if you're, you actually own your family, they couldn't come in and force your family to, you know, change its sex or inject it with uh, toxins or they couldn't do these things. But we don't war against flesh and blood. Who's going to stop them? Us? A few handful of people? Now, I'm all for people who want to go up there and advocate that we don't have, uh, uh, you know, forced vaccinations. I actually came across this week, somebody asked me a question about a particular measure that passed in 1994 in Oregon. And they said, well, what, what, you want to know something about it? Well, I, I know 
because I've done my homework. I, I, I was just with my phone. I found the link that shows you how many people voted and all this stuff on Measure 6 back in 1994. But I couldn't find the measure. At first, I found this big long list of all the Measure 6s, but there's different ones every year or every couple of years. And so I had to go all the way down to the bottom. For some reason, it's hid way down at the bottom of the list. Because <laughs> they're, they're going to try to overrule that particular measure. Another long story. Go read our article, Article 2, Section 22, just to show you what kind of a strong delusion people are under. They're trying to drain the swamp and nobody's willing to pull the plug. But the reality is, is that there was a Measure 6 in 1916 that did not pass. And it was to make it a constitutional amendment that nobody could force your children to take vaccines. This controversy was back in 1916. Well, of course, in 1908, the Carnegie Foundation and the Guggenheim Foundation and the uh, Ford Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation were all meeting to decide how we were going to change the way in which Americans view history. Well, they're also going to change the way in which Americans view a lot of things. And the fact is, is that you could do that because you were not walking in the spirit even back then. Now, there were some, undoubtedly, but they weren't. They would see the whole truth if you were really filled with the whole spirit of God. But they don't see it. And, you know, uh, well, I won't talk about any particular people, but they just won't see it. So this transferism is where, they, they, you know, they define it as where you have the government transfer some of the wealth of the rich that have too much, in somebody's opinion, to the poor who don't have enough. Well, there's transferism in the kingdom of God, too. But the one who decides what's going to get transferred is the one who produced it. And it's called charity. We don't call it transferism. We call it charity. (laughs) And we take care of the needy through charity. And if you don't take care of the needy through charity, you will end up perfect savages and go under tyranny, under a despot, under another king. And it won't be King Jesus. Because King Jesus' transferism is through charity. All the other kings of the world, their transferism is through force. And so if you think that's okay, you're going to end up under a tyrant. Paul knew this. Polybius knew this. Christ knew this. John the Baptist knew this. And this is what they were preaching. But it's not what your imagination has been telling you. And the people who feed your imagination. But Paul is talking about taking down that imagination. And to setting it aside that we don't live by that imagination. So he says, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Which is the modern church has done that. And bringing into captivity, that's you, every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're going to cast down that imagination so that... We are in captivity to Christ instead of in captivity to the world. But if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to admit the truth, then you're going to be in trouble. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul's talking about you will be obeying. 
He's talking about you works obeying. He's not talking about your works so that God owes you salvation. God's not going to owe you salvation. There's nothing you can do that God will owe you salvation. It's always going to be by by grace. But if you're not showing the fruits of the Spirit in the form of what you're doing, you're not saved. You need that. I'm giving you that heads up. You know, people want to think I'm saved because I've accepted Jesus in my heart. But the evidence is that you have not. Because of what you're doing. And Paul is very clear about that. He says you have no inheritance if you're doing this big long list. And he goes on in the next chapter. Which I entitled Not Outward Appearance. You can go see all this on uh, preparingyou.com. Verse 7. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? You know, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Whited sepulchers. They're all dressed up. They look nice. They're blowing their incense and they're, they're going around and they're smiling. And, you know, and now they are wearing $1,500 suits or $2,000 suits and they got their ties and they're, or, or, you know, actually some ministers now, they're wearing blue jeans. Cause we're, you know, we're like the people. I, I do wear blue jeans too. I wear all kinds of clothes, but, uh, I don't wear a $2,000 suit. I don't even drive a $2,000 car. <laughs> so, anyway, the, uh, uh, you know, I got my, my suit at Goodwill. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty thrifty. I've had to be, uh, in order to take the time to do this study so that I can t- tear down the vain imaginations you think is Christianity. It's not. Christianity was taking care of all the social welfare of Christians through faith, hope, and charity and not taking any of the free benefits of those men who exercise authority and call themselves benefactors but are simply in the business of transferism. They're not... Christians wouldn't do that. And that's why they were persecuted. And we show this in the article on Christian conflict. So if you don't believe that, go read the article. Show me where I'm wrong. You know, our email's out there. You can come and show me where, you can call me even and, and show me where I'm wrong. But I'd like you to do it, put it in writing because I notice that when people try to prove you wrong, as soon as you say, well, no, that's not true. This is, and you've thwarted their argument with actual facts. They jump over to another topic and, and then you, prove that wrong and then they jump over they just they won't face the truth they don't want to face the truth so put it in writing let's take a look i put it in writing we've got you know hundreds maybe thousands of articles out there and and we've got hundreds and hundreds of audios out there so if i'm wrong show me show me where i'm wrong put it down in writing i don't i challenge you so anyway he says uh in at verse seven do Ye look on things after the outward appearance. If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, you know, belongs to Christ, let him of himself think this again. And the number of times all the apostles, all the authors in the epistles of uh, the Gospels are warning you, even Christ is warning you, think again, take another look. That as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more 
of our authority, and we can look at that word authority in a minute, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction. I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. In other words, he's writing these letters. I don't want to upset you with these letters, but I'm I'm going to rebuke you because as many as I love, I also rebuke. For his letters say they are weightier and powerful, but this bodily presence is weak and his speech uh, contemptible. Let such and one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. So he's talking about when he comes. What I'm writing you, I'm going to say the same thing when I get there. But he's putting it down in writing, which we just talked about. If you think I'm wrong, put it in writing. Show me. We actually have a number of people that somebody came across one of the websites, uh, and we have what we we show you the, the these people who criticize what we're doing, and and one person came across it on online that that particular website I don't even remember what the name of it is, but uh, it involves Darwin Fish. And he he says, this is all lies. Have anybody seen this? Well, we have hours of broadcast going through all of his items. We have pages that explain all this, go through in detail, where he is absolutely wrong. He didn't come back and refute any of the things that we said. Uh, but we have a number of people that are retractors. And we've gone, you know, we've actually included some of them in somebody was quoting one of our articles on Romans 13 in an article that he was writing for somebody, I don't remember, Lou Rockwell or somebody, maybe News Reviews. But anyway, he was quoting our article, and somebody criticized his article. And, of course, we're one of the sources. Our our research is one of the sources of that article. Well, and he was the head of a seminary. He's in the book, The Higher Liberty. We take his argument, we go and we we address it. And his argument just completely falls apart. His argument was a non-argument. But to the person who hasn't done their homework, could have easily been deceived by his argument because it sounded reasonable. But the facts don't bear him out. I can't even remember what it was. I think it had to do with the, the use of the word exousia. And he was saying that, oh, this word was used, da, 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 and I'm, and I showed him, no, that's not the way the word was used. And we actually quote poets, authors, teachers of the time, scholars of the time, well-known scholars of the time, philosophers of the time, and their specific definition of that word exousia. We show you that he says, no, this is what, and these are the Greeks of that time. And he was trying to, you know, insinuate that, oh no, that we have to look at the way that word means, as if he knew what he was talking about. He didn't know. He had been taught falsely. I'm not picking on the guy, although he's mentioned in the, the book, but I've, I, I sent him what I wrote in the book, never got a word back, because he can't refute the facts. You know, facts do matter. So anyway, so anyway, that's 
that's an important thing for us to understand when we're we're that that and that's why I'm bringing out the facts. The facts are not going to give you a relationship with God, but they're going to possibly cut or hack away at the root problem, which is your relationship with the world and with the people that have taught you that have been teaching you stuff that just ain't so. And we need to turn around from those people who are teaching you what just ain't so and find out what is so. Then we can go and study to be quiet, do those things, forgiveness, giving, sacrifice, caring about others, hearing the cries of others. You want God to hear your cries? You have to hear the cries of others. You can't just go off like some sadhu and contemplate in, in the hills and just care about yourself. You actually have to go out and care about others in order to care about others. You have to hear others. And the best way to hear others and to care about others is the way Christ commanded us to do it. And he commanded us to do it by sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And that's the way the early church was organized. And if you're not organized that way, you're not doing it the way the early church was doing it. And you may need to turn around and do it that other way. So anyway, I was looking here for that particular quote. I thought it was in verse 8. In Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. Ah, there it is. And it is what I thought it was. And I wanted to double check before I told you. This is, this is being thorough. Because I don't want to mislead you. I can make mistakes. I do misspeak at times. So did Moses. But uh, when he writes it down, he tries to get it right. But the word there. He says, our authority... He's talking about, and he's talking to them as they have authority too. Not just his authority, but our authority. What word is that? That's the word they use in Romans 13. <laughs> Exousia, the word I'm talking to you about. That word, Exousia, in Romans 13, is actually, at times, translated liberty. <laughs> because that's what it means, is liberty. So he's actually talking in there. So if we read that verse 8, For though I should boast somewhat more of our liberty, which Lord hath given us for edification. That's why we're given liberty. We're not given liberty to just go out and do anything we want. We're going out, we're given liberty to go out and do what Christ wants. And Christ wants you to love one another. You have the liberty especially in the United States, of freely assembling and living by faith, hope, and charity. You can do it right now. I, you know, I talked in some of the last programs that we did. I don't know if it was the one just before this, the one before that. But I talked about socialists, people who want to be socialists. In the United States, according to the laws of the United States, you can become a socialist right now and live a socialist lifestyle right now. And you do it by getting together with all your other buddy socialists and you're forming a cooperative or even a corporation or a religious order. Because, I mean, religion, socialism is a religion you get. Socialism is a religion. It's a religion you get when you have no religion. You have no faith, hope, and charity. You're going to end up with socialism. 
And that liberty is so that you you have the liberty to go have faith, hope, and charity and live by that. That's the liberty you have. You don't want to live by faith, hope, and charity. You just want to go out there. And and somebody just mentioned somebody we knew from Wisconsin for years ago and used to call up and keep me on the phone for hours. Now, he did things, too, that, that were of a service. And then a lot of times when I'm on the phone, I was just using the headphones then. I was doing other work and just listening to him. But he would not sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He was so full of anger at the system. He wrote a big, long, thick book. I have it over here. And a lot of the stuff in the book is true. But he's missing some of the truth of Christ. And that's what a lie is. That's the definition of a lie. If you leave out elements of Christ, it, you, you're, what you're teaching is a lie. We are given liberty to live by faith, hope, and charity. If you want to live by socialism, you can form a religious society right now that operates in a socialist fashion for whatever purpose that you want. And you can enter into that and then you can, and, and I actually I could, I can't name them because I can't remember their name, but I, I know of groups that have done this. They end up in disaster because they've left out some really important elements of Christ. Because Christ actually created a socialist organization. A social, I shouldn't say socialist because it really isn't socialist, but a, a system where the church Owned all things in common. The church being the ministers of the church. Owned all things in common. But they owned all things in common in a system where they could not exercise authority one over the other. All socialist states exercise authority one over the other. So he's creating a system that's not really socialist, but it, it could appear that way. And that's why some people see this. Own all things in common. They think Christ was a socialist. Absolutely not so. But the ministers were to own all things in common, but they couldn't exercise authority one over the other. So how did you form rank in the church? It wasn't a rank of authority. It wasn't arche. It wasn't authority one over the other. So how was the rank in the church? He who is the greatest servant of servants of servants. And we explain all this, and you can go read about it elsewhere, but we want to get to this uh, Corinthians and then maybe we'll do Corinthians 11 this afternoon I doubt we'll have time to get into it but it's important that you look these things over and see you wouldn't know that that word authority there is the same word that they translate power elsewhere and the same word they translate liberty elsewhere but that word was the strongest word in the Greek language for liberty for the right to choose it's still defined that way in your Strong's Concordance it's it's your right to choose Christ gave us a right to choose of how we were going to exercise transferism. We get to choose the way in which we help society. That's, that's why he gave us liberty. is so that we had the liberty to love. Without the liberty to love, the liberty to choose to help this person or help that person or contribute to this cause, there is no real love. If you don't have the right to choose, you cannot exercise love. Love requires, by its nature, sacrifice. That sacrifice is in the form of charity. And it may be you give up time, you may give up money, you may give up property, you may, but it's charity. It's your choice. It's the liberty to choose yourself. This is the nature of the church. So how can you be a part of his church if you're going out and asking other men who set a different kind of table to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare or the welfare of others. 
You, you want to create social welfare schemes where the government has the power to take away from your neighbor to give to the needy of society. No, that is not, that is anti-Christ. You're not a Christian. You're not following what Christ said to do. You're following your vain imagination. And, and I'm tearing it down. <laughs> so anyway, so this is good news, folks, because now you're hearing the good news. And, and he's telling you that I'm telling you this in the letter that, of course, they already kind of know it. Modern Christians don't even have an inkling of this in some t- cases. But he's telling them how this works, how the Christianity is functioning, what we're supposed to. If we're walking in the spirit, we would be doing this. If we're not willing to do this, we're not walking in the spirit, we're walking in the flesh. If you're desiring, you're afraid to give up those benefits of those men who exercise authority, and I understand that will be a process, you're not really following Christ. We'll be right back. So in the last paragraph in Second Corinthians chapter 10, we're looking at verse 12. It says, you know, my, the title I put on there is Preaching the Gospel of Christ. And this is what Paul is is doing. He's saying, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with uh, some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves amongst themselves are not wise. See, this is the thing is that what is the denomination of Christianity? It's Christ. It's not like, I'm pretty good because I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm pretty good because we do this, this, and this. I'm pretty good because I wear blue jeans in church when I'm preaching. Because I'm one of the people. I'm humble. I'm wearing these humble blue jeans. You know, we're not, we're not, you know, because see, the whited sepulchers, you can do the same thing with blue jeans. It's, you're, you're dealing with that outward appearance that he was just talking about. And he doesn't want to be boasting of this stuff. And he doesn't want to be measuring those people. See, this is one of the things you see on Facebook and some of the social media is that people get in a little bubble of friends who all think the same way. And then they see some news item that is coming from the fake news. (laughs) And they believe it because it supports their delusion. And they swim in that delusion. They live in that bubble. And they compare themselves with each other. And they just mutual backscratching society. And they are not wise. They can't learn. They can't get out of that bubble. They become stuck in that bubble of thinking. He says, but we will not boast of things without our measure. And that that's an interesting word that... that that without our measure, we actually see it here in the next verse as well, but the word is, is not in the Greek. It's not repeated in the Greek. It's, they repeat it in the translation, but it's not. But he says, uh, talks about, but we will not boast of things without our measure. Looking at ourselves, measuring ourselves, looking at our deeds, what we're doing, our, and this is what the, the they're warning us all the time. You think you believe Christ did this. Um, he did it with the Pharisees. And we should be doing it every day. We should be testing. Do we really believe? Is what 
the works of the Spirit that we are walking by producing the works of the early church? Are we doing what the early church who had been trained up by Christ were doing? No. Churches are not doing that. They're actually doing what the Pharisees were doing. And so you have to measure this, and this is why I'm bringing out the history of what was going on at that time. Why were Christians being persecuted? Because they would not sign up with the men who called themselves benefactors that worked for the other governments. Because that's what Jesus is saying. The princes and rulers of those other governments, we can show you the quotes, that exercise authority one over the other. If you read our benefactor article or exercising authority article, it tells you that the, he's talking about their government. And if you're getting your benefits from that world, that world government, that constitutional order and system of government that exercises authority one over the other in this transferism of forcing the contributions of the people, you're going against Christ. You're going against Moses. You're not even a Jew. According to, if, if a Jew is someone who follows the teachings of Moses, you're not even a Jew. You can wear, you know, you can be circumcised you know, and follow the food laws, but you're not following the basics. You're coveting your neighbor's goods, the men who exercise authority. And it says, in the commandments of God, which Paul never said the commandments were done away with. He was saying rules like circumcision and you don't have to do that. You can do that if you want. He, he's okay if you do that. I'm fine with Jews who want to do all that. But you don't have to do that. That isn't necessary to do that. You need the circumcision of the heart. You, you need to be willing to sacrifice in love for one another. But Christ gave you that choice, that liberty, that authority to decide for you. The world wants to take that authority away from you. And if your religion is spotted by the world, it will take that away from you. Because that's how you get entangled in the yoke of bondage. is because you go to the world and ask for benefits. Free school, free health care, free welfare, all these wonderful gifts, gratuities and benefits. That are destroyers of freedom. Destroyers of the society. And in those systems they bring about all these other uh, sexual revolutions and all these other things. These are all signs of the time. But people can't. They don't understand how this all works. They don't even understand how marriage works. They don't understand how family works. I, the number of people. Uh, some of them intimately related to me now. They have come to me and told me, took me aside and said, we don't know. I don't know, they say, speaking for themselves, what a family is. I never had a family. And I, I, I find this astounding. You know, I, I know these are uh, Kodak moments. These are Holy Spirit moments. Why are they coming to me and telling me this? They don't know how a family is supposed to operate. And they're really, it, that's a huge thing. I don't know anybody who's an expert in that field. I know some people who have learned more than others. And I know some people that got a lot more to learn. But anyway, back to this so that we get through this. Uh, so he's talking about uh, these people who live in these bubbles not being wise because they don't measure themselves against anybody else but themselves. We measure ourselves against Christ 
Because Christ is our denominator. He is our denomination. But we will not boast of things without our measure. You know, you can, you can check us out. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Okay, so what's the rule that God hath distributed to us? You're supposed to be living by faith, hope, and charity, by love for one another, not by force. John the Baptist said, everybody else is doing it by force. I'm going to do it by charity. If you have extra, share with those that don't have enough. This is why the church was persecuted, because that's the way they were going to do it, in pure religion. And the world didn't like that. It made them look bad, and they cast 14,000 Jewish families out of Rome, and all the Roman families, they still want to live by faith, open charity, but they couldn't cast them out because they were Romans. So Paul's writing Romans, and the Romans are saying, hey, do we have to get circumcised? They're saying that we had to do that because actually some of those families were mixed. It was families that were cast out. When they talk about 2,000 getting baptized one day and 3,000 the next day or whatever, they're talking about families, the heads of the family, the prison guard. You get baptized, you and all your family is saved. Because that baptism was when you said, yeah, I'm going to live by faith, hope, and charity. This is this is just the outward expression of your willingness to repent. Not think like the world, to live by force, fear, and violence. I'm going to think like Christ said, by faith, hope, and charity. You can't do that as a society, as a culture, unless you sit down in tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Which is why Christ commanded us. So now we got three things that we've talked about. Actually, four or five things. You have to be humble enough to see that your imagination is not what you should be worshiping. You have to be willing to forgive others, including yourself, for not doing the right according to the ways of Christ. You have to give to others. And you can't give to others unless you forgive them. So these are overlapping things in the culture of Christ. And you have to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands because he commanded it. And there are extra commands for the ministers that Christ also gave to the ministers of Christ. Boy, I can tell you that most of the ministers out there of the modern church, they don't want to hear that. That, you know, they'll, they don't even keep the characteristics of a minister that are mentioned in Timothy and Titus, much less the requirements specified by Christ for the ministers of the church. So, in, let's see, what we at? in verse 13, but we will not boast, he says, without measure, without, you know, looking at what we're doing, according to the measure of the rule of God, which we have to live by this faith, hope, and charity. And he says, which has also been given unto you. For we, because there was a difference between the ministers of the church and the people. There were ministers and there was laity. But that doesn't have anything to do with salvation. That just has to do with your role in society. So people say, oh no, there's no need for ministers and everything. But everybody who says that, they go to the world. To the men who exercise authority for their welfare. They don't have any daily ministration of the church. They don't get their daily bread from Christ. They get their daily bread from the world. They, from those men who exercise authority. So they're wrong. <laughs> so anyway, not boasting. 
I skip 14. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. And that gospel of Christ is to live by faith, hope, and charity and not force, fear, and violence. Not boasting of things without our measure that is of other men's labor, (laughs) but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. We're not going to get into the transferism of the world. We're not going to say, you know, I don't collect any social security checks. I don't, I don't go get welfare. I don't go get any of these benefits of the world. But I just have the hope that we will be enlarged, enriched, whatever you want to say there, by you according to our rule abundantly. And our rule is that I can't force you to contribute. And I very seldom talk about contributions, but that's what Paul's talking about here to the Corinthians. And we'll know this. If if you read the verses before, he talks about taking up their collection, having the money ready to go. I'm going to take the money to Jerusalem, and uh, I will. Uh, if the guys from Macedonia come with me, they'll be coming with me, and we will take your people who are going to be taking contributions there too, with us. If you want to go, so he's talking about that. He is running an international welfare system. Every Christian church is running their local welfare system. They are taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. They are not going to the temples of the government of Rome to get their bread, their daily bread. They have a daily ministration. Modern churches send all the people to the men who exercise authority, which is why you are entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So, He's not boasting, but he's hoping in verse 16 to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. What's he talking about? We're supposed to not just love those people in our local home church. All the home church groups should be out there connecting one another in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Ten families in a home church. Five, you know, I say ten, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. It's actually tens, hundreds, and thousands. And the reason they put the fifty in there because they were dealing with five thousand families. That's what, when Christ commanded this, they were dealing with five thousand families. So ten families get together, ten home churches get together, and then you end up with a thousand uh, families and then five thousand. And if there was ten thousand people there, then it would be tens, hundreds, and thousands, and ten thousands. This is the way the church was organized. And, and that's why Paul and Barnabas, right out of the box, were taking emergency supplies to an area that was really hard hit and could not sustain themselves without aid from abroad. But that's what it means when Christ says, you can't just love those who love you. You have to love those people that are far away. You can't do that effectively, righteously, unless you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is why Christ commanded it. 
But your preachers don't need to teach you that because they don't take care of you in time of need anyway. In time of need, they send you to the men who exercise authority to eat at their table. But Christ is saying you can't eat at both tables. Now, I know that many of you will because you haven't been sitting down. And so that repentance is a process. You know, I always point out this, and I think it's it's really telling. 5,000 families, maybe 20,000 people there. Christ is told that there isn't enough food for everybody. He's talking about for the ministers because they're not going to feed all these people. There isn't enough food for the ministers. He only has a little bit to give to Christ who is hungry. And and Christ says, make the people sit down in tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And ranks upon ranks of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. That took a little bit of time. Meanwhile, nobody's feeding Jesus. He's He's fasting, I guess. So... That may have taken a couple of days to get that organized. They didn't have megaphones. You got all these people and they have to sit down and organize in this fashion. And then, so now they're organized and he says, okay, bring me the food that we do have for the ministers up there that are following with Christ. And it's not very much. And he says, take it and give it away. This is the only food we got, Christ. We, we got to go to town and get some more food. And, and this is all we've got. And we're going to give it away. He says, give it away. And they give it away. And suddenly there's an abundance. Where'd that come from? Now, the modern church doesn't want to tell you how the real church worked. will tell you that it just appeared out of thin air. But that's not the miracle. There was a miracle. But that's not it. The miracle was is that the people started to share. And they shared so much that there was a surplus left over and the apostles had plenty. This is the kingdom of God. That's the way it works. It doesn't work by your vain imagination. It doesn't work by your emotional acceptance of Christ. It works because you've turned around and you're thinking a different way. And you have a daily ministration that takes care of all the social welfare of your Christ cultural church. That's the way it works. So... He, he, he says in verse 16, we'll go over it again, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. You know, if you re- read the other, he was telling him to take up these collections. We're not going to boast of that. This is to help people in other places. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And how how do we know who the Lord commendeth? Well, we don't necessarily need to know. We just need to do know what's right. But he's talking about glory in the Lord. And we've talked about that word glory and and what it means and how that fits into you know, the uh, the terminology of the day because it's one of those words like honor and, and stuff like that that uh, people just don't quite understand the meaning of that word. And so they they put a different definition on it. But even the word glory is translated boast eight times. Uh, it's also translated rejoice. 
But it talks about to glory, whether with reason or without, to glory on account of a thing, to glory in a thing. That's the definition they give you. What they're talking about is giving credit. Who gets the credit? You know, if if you give me a thousand dollars and I'm able to help somebody else out by giving them that thousand dollars, passing it on or paying a medical bill. Do I get the credit? Do you want the credit? Who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? The spirit of this is that God gets the glory because God is working on your heart. It's the spirit of God working in you. It's not you. It's the spirit of God working in you. You have the liberty to choose to let Christ in, the spirit of God in, the the spirit of righteousness in your heart or not. You have the right to choose whether that spirit comes into you or not. You can't make that spirit come into you, but you have the right to choose to let that spirit come into you. What's keeping that spirit out of you now? Your vain imagination? Your fear of knowing the truth about who you really are? And the fact that you've been coveting your neighbor's goods and your parents have been coveting their neighbor's goods through the the strong delusion, the lie that it's okay to take from your neighbor as long as you do it through men who exercise authority called government. It's not okay. It's contrary to the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. It's contrary to what John the Baptist was saying. It is in conformity to coveting your neighbor's goods through transferism. It's the covetous practices that has made you merchandise, entangled you again in the yoke of bondage, and cursed your children with trillions of dollars of debt. And every single country in the world is doing this. And no matter who you elect, the debt goes up. I heard the other day for taxpayers, the debt is at least $150,000 per taxpayer right today. And you can't even pay that back because you can't pay a debt with a note, which we explain in the Covenants of the Gods. Showing, you know, you don't have to know all the technicalities of how this works in the world. For those who want to learn, we've got it published. And you can read, a lot of the people I know who've read Covenants of the Gods, which is free online, but some have gotten a hard copy. You can print your own hard copy out. You can download a PDF and take it down to Kinko's and they'll, they'll put it together and bind it for you. It's probably cheaper to order it from us, but that's up to you. I don't care how you read it. We There's nothing you have to sign up for to get access to the whole book and all the books. But the guys I know who have those books and have read them, that many of them have read them over and over again, and they say constantly, every time I read it, I learn something new. Because there's layers. There's layers in the kingdom. But there's also layers in the lie. You see one truth, you haven't seen it all. You have to persevere. Back to one of those things in the short list that we're going to be talking about eventually after we get through Corinthians. The short list. You have to persevere. Persevere at what? Persevere at what Christ commanded. What did he command? Forgive, give, love, Sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Don't just love those in your little home church, but love those who are far away. 
This is the message of the gospel of Christ. This is the church established by Christ. But it will only be edified if you begin to walk in the Spirit and let God write upon your heart and your minds. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do what's right because I tell you. You're going to do what's right because it is written in your heart and written in your mind. So the next chapter, chapter 11, we'll just touch upon that. We're not going to go through it all. We don't have the time. But would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin in Christ. Full of metaphors in there. This is what he's, one of the reasons I always like to go into the next chapter before we finish one chapter, uh, you know, one recording, is these are all linked. These are all connected. This is all one letter. This is all one gospel. And he's telling you. There is one denominator here. And that is Christ. It's not me, Paul. He has that big long thing. It's not me, Paul or, or, uh, Apollo or it's, it's Christ. It's the character of Christ. And it has to be Christ's spirit dwelling in you, writing upon your hearts and in mind. And if you're not living according to the ways of the Holy Church and trying to go that way and change the culture of your life that way, then you're not walking in the Spirit yet. And you have need of repentance. You have need of changing the way you think. We'll see you next week. Join the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.